Look in Romans chapter 13. And we'll just begin reading with the first verse, which kind of sets the tone for the verses that we'll be looking at tonight. You know, we, as we're reminded of often, I, I mention it periodically. We're so blessed. Amen. And it's just, uh, <coughs> pardon me. And it's been a great blessing now for some 200 years since we've secured our independence as a nation. Um, but we've been watching things happen over the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years that are just gradually catching up with us. So Christians, you know, in America have had it pretty good, right? I mean, we've had it pretty good. We don't have to hide in secret to go to church. You say, well, why are you even saying this? Because a lot of places in the world do. And uh, we're seeing uh, a, a movement gain traction that would just like to fundamentally transform our country, not in a good way. So we're going to be, I'm going to, at the end of this tonight, I'm going to show you a brief little clip of a church that um, last Sunday was fined $10,000 for meeting in church in America. And sometimes, here's how we think a lot of times, when it's not here, then it doesn't matter. But it does matter because often what starts on either the east or west coast will eventually get to where we are. So, as Christians, I think we need to be serious about what is our response to things like that? What is our response to government overreach? So that's the really the kind of the reason I want to deal with this passage. We had a lesson on this subject a couple of Wednesdays ago. Tonight we'll have another lesson, and we'll probably have at least one more after this. So let's just read verse 1 of Romans chapter 13. The Bible says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Our Father, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you for this wonderful chapter and we ask for your help as we study it together we know there's a lot of different opinions about how we should apply this to our life and we we pray that you'd guide us help us to be attentive not only to what you say in your word but to the spirit of God who is our teacher and uh, we'll thank you for that in Jesus name amen you may be seated we'll look at some of these other verses in a moment and you know, I, I think there's a lot of need, a great need, a lot of uh, um, areas where we just need God's discernment, where we need wisdom. And there's so much diversity of thought among Christians about this subject, about our relationship with government. And uh, some believe, some good pastors believe, 
that we're basically obligated by this passage and others to obey every edict that comes along from our government. Um, and I think it's really important that Christians uh, work through this in the scriptures. And the reason is because, as I said in the first lesson, we are the salt of the earth. I think Bible believers, I'm talking about true Bible believers, should be the most uh, conservative, if we could use that word, uh, influence on a society. Um, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? And the Bible says if we've lost our savor, we're good for nothing. So Christians who carry a good Bible and go to church, if they're not engaged in culture and society, then how are we going to be a positive influence? Many, and there are a lot of professing uh, Christians who really don't feel like they should be engaged. And so all these, I think all these things need to be worked through. Um, should we have what I would call uh, unconditional submission to authority? Uh, there are preachers that preach based on this premise that the war for our independence, I'm not making this up, Baptist Numerous Baptists, lots of Baptists believe this. That the, war, that, that the war for our independence was actually an act of sinful rebellion. That we never should have done that. Based on the fact that this verse says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. And we were under the authority of England. These 13 English colonies that came to this country and settled. We were under a government authority. Um, the British government. So, based on that, some people think we never should have declared our independence to begin with. Now, I just, I'm just trying to introducing this because I think it's an important subject. And it, it troubles me some when people, and I'm not saying you feel this way, they just feel like none of this really matters. The only thing that matters to me is as long as I have food on the table, my kids be, learn how to behave, and really that's the, that's the extent of it. But I want to tell you, that kind of mentality will cost us greatly in the long run. I think we need to be concerned about it. Just think about some hypotheticals. What if a husband requires his wife, tells his wife, demands from his wife that she do something that contradicts the word of God? Does she have to obey her husband if her husband wants her to disobey the word of God? What if a parent is abusing their child? Does that parent have unconditional authority? What if the government tells us to stop assembling? I'm not talking about a temporary stop based on health issues. I'm talking about what if they try to shut us down? Do we have the right to resist that uh, government? What if your boss requires you to be dishonest on your job? If you're going to work here, then you're going to have to fudge on the books. You're going to have to you know, do what I tell you. Do, are you required to follow that? Advice. What if a pastor is abusive? What if a pastor is uh, domineering? And um, does a ch is a church are, are doctrinally in error or immoral? Is a church obligated to follow that pastor even though he's in a position of authority? What if the government requires you to wear a mask in order to fly on a, in an airplane? You know, do you have the right to get on there and say, I'm not going to do this. I don't care. I have, per I have the liberty not to do this. I mean, 
We're talking about our relationship to government or our relationship to authority. Could be in the home, could be on the job, could be with the government. What if the state were to say you can no longer educate your children in a Christian school or a Christ or homeschooling? What if that were to happen? You say, well, that could never happen. Don't think for a moment that could not happen. And if I were you, I'd be thinking about working all this out in my mind before it happens. I don't think some of these things are going to happen in my lifetime, but I, I would firmly believe that if something remarkable doesn't happen in a good way, that people in this room are going to live to see these things happen. Where you'll either have to defy the government or send your children to a public school, for instance. I'm not saying it's going to happen because I'd like to see revival. I'd like to see some positive things happen. What if you worked in a hospital in a in a healthcare situation, as a healthcare professional, you were told you had to assist in an abortion procedure. I mean, all these things people face all the time. You've never faced them, maybe. So we're going to look at other issues. We're going to look at civil law. We're going to look at constitutional law a little bit. And we're going to look a little bit at historical precedent. Because some people believe, you know, because... Because the colonists rebelled after the um, various acts of the British government, one of which was the Boston Tea Party, because the, our government did, that gives us the right to do it. But I'm telling you, the, history is not the primary basis of what we believe. This is the primary basis of what we believe. So we're going to begin with the Word of God. We'll look at some other things later. Now, some people may not find this interesting. I, I think it not, find it not only interesting, but I find it very relevant. So let's look at our text tonight. And most of our time will be just looking at this text. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Let every soul... Now, the, every soul means every person. Every person. Not some people, not most people, but let every soul be subject unto the higher power. So every person is under authority. Every person. The president is under authority. The pastor is under authority. The husband and wife are under authority. The police are under authority. So all of us, every soul, is to deal with this matter of authority. Let every soul be subject. The word there translated subject is often translated as, as a minister or submit. It's, the Greek word is hupotasso, and it means to put yourself under or be in submission to. Let every soul be subject, put themselves under submission to the higher powers. Now, the word higher. Uh, higher means basically one that would be in a higher position, but also someone that has a higher character, an ex uh, more excellent. Every, let every soul be subject unto the higher power. So the police officer has a higher power, right? And even if he's a patrolman, he has a higher power within, within uh, the... Um, way its authority is set up, he'd be under his sergeant, and then maybe his sergeant's under the captain, and the captain's under the chief of police. So that's kind of how it works, but there's another power higher than that, 
And that's the power of the law. The only authority that a police officer has is the law. Now, if I get pulled over out here driving down Parkway Drive at 23 miles an hour, and they give me a speeding ticket, at 23 it would be a speeding ticket, right? Then I'll smile and have my day in court, maybe without the smile. <laughs> But if he pulls me over and says to me, you know, you can't be driving that car wearing a MAGA hat. <laughs> he doesn't have any authority to do that because there's no law against it. Now, that may seem insignificant, but the law is the higher power. So, who's, has the, who has the greater authority? The law does. Over, over, even over the chief of police, the law is his authority. But even there's a higher power than that, and that's God. And God's word is a higher power than that. Now it goes on to say in verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. Now it's very important to understand this passage that we be able to comprehend the message that Paul is giving to the Romans and the Lord is giving through Paul. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. Now the word there that's translated as power, there's two words translated as power in our New Testament. This is the word exousia, and the word means authority. Sometimes the word power is dunamis, that means might. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's dunamis. This is exousia, this is the power of authority. So he says here, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. He mentioned the word power there. For there is no power, there's the word again, but of God. The powers, three times in one verse, the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore shall resist the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. So these powers, according to the last part of verse 1, the powers that be are ordained of God. God established now, what does he mean when he's talking about power? He's talking about authority. He's not talking about the person. He's talking about the position of authority. God established the ordinance of authority. The powers that be, verse 1 says, are ordained of God. God ordered them. Government, authority, authority in the workplace. By the way, if you read the New Testament, you see that God established authority in the workplace and that we're to follow those guidelines there's authority in the home God established it at authority and we're to follow his guidelines concerning the home there we none of us should be anti-government because God established government as a part of his plan now that does not mean that God is in favor of every wicked ruler if you read this and you think the powers that be are ordained of God, that means that you believe that every Saddam Hussein uh, was ordained of God. It's not talking here about the person. It's talking about the, um, the fact that we have an authority structure in our life. Um, there's, you know, Hosea, and Hosea was in Hosea the other day. God said this, they set up kings, but not by me. They chose kings, but they weren't the ones God wanted. So I'm just saying every person 
If, if I believed that every person in authority, no matter if it, who it is, you know, if it's the Ayatollah, whoever it is, if it's Fidel Castro, whoever it is, that every person is ordained of God and we're to submit to him, then that's one thing. But that's not what this teaches. It's teaching that God set up a system of authority. And verse 2 says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, if you oppose or resist authority, you're resisting God's order, the ordinance of God. You know, what we're seeing played out in our society on a daily basis are people often referred to as anarchists. And that's what they are. Now, what is an anarchist? What is anarchy? An anarchist is a person who's against authority. They, they want to establish themselves as the authority. And by the way, I'm not going to get into this tonight, but numerous places in the Bible it talks about a lawless uh, disregard for authority that will be a part of the culture in the world in the last days. I mean, it's, it's clearly laid out in the Bible. They despise. Here's the language in one place in Jude. It says they despise dominion. They hate authority. They don't want any. By the way, I was, you know, I was a teenager in the late '60s, and and when all that rebellion was going on, the sit-ins rebelling against the war the shootings on Kent State University, I remember all those things so well. There was like a, there was like an, a resistance to authority. Well, we're seeing that played out again in our culture. So if a person resists authority, look what it says in verse 2, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. When you resist, young person, if you resist authority structure, you're resisting God because God established it. And look what it says, the last part of verse 2. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, this is not just talking about government authority. This is just authority in general. It could be on the job. could be in the home. And um, so does that mean then that we are never to resist authority? Don't get ahead of me. No, it does not mean that. It doesn't mean that it would be sinful to resist some kind of a... Uh, tyranny, oppressive leaders. Um, I remember when I was in, get, becoming better informed about the subject of authority and, and how we got our independence from England and various things, that I began to read about a phrase called the divine right of kings. Uh, and if you were to Google that, there's a lot of, you could read about it. the divine right of kings and it began really in the late 1500s, early 1600s, and it was basically a position that kings, and this is very relevant to this chapter, that kings received their authority directly from God and were not answerable to any human authority. That's where dictators come from, the divine right of kings. But, the, but that's not biblical. The Bible says everybody is under authority. The president, I repeat, is under authority. Uh, the chief justice of the Supreme Court has authority over the other justices, I guess you could say. But the Supreme Court is under authority. They don't always recognize it, but they are. So he says there in verse 
2, if you resist government, if you resist authority, you're going to be judged for it. Verse 3, for rulers, the word rulers there just means, a, sometimes it's translated like it's a prince, or, but a, real, a leader. People in authority are, now this is so important, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. So when the Bible says that we are to be uh, submitted to those who are in positions of authority, then he tells us what kind of rulers those people in authority should be. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Now, the first two verses are talking more about the institution of government, but now he's talking about the person, the leader. He calls them rulers. Rulers are not to be a terror to good works, but to the evil. God ordained leaders, whether in the home or in the government or in the or in uh, a person's vocation, God-ordained leaders are not just dictators. Their job is to put down things that are evil and commend things that are good, right? That's their job. It's right clear in the Bible. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Then he says, Will thou not then not be afraid of the power? We should respect people in positions of authority. You know why we should respect them? Because their job is to stop things that are wrong and, and commend things that are right. That's why um, when I'm driving, and I come up over a hill and I see a police car on the shoulder. I tap the brakes just in case. <laughs> you know why? Because if I'm in the wrong, I'm going to get in trouble for it. Right? That's what, author that's what authority is supposed to do. They're, authority, this, sh this shows you how much th authority has gone awry. That's what we see a lot of in our culture. You know, people who are law-abiding citizens will be fined and locked up if they go to church. But people who ride in the streets, that's okay. There's something wrong with that picture. And I'm not, I'm not just getting off on a soapbox. I'm just telling you, this is, this is what the Bible says about those in authority. This is God's will for rulers. This is God's rule and his will for dads and moms to correct things that are wrong and to praise things that are right. That's what we're supposed to do. Not to, let, not to di ignore, disregard, disobedience. We're to, we're to judge that. So in God's plan, civil government does not have the biblical right to be a terror to good works. And, and you, you only have to think for a moment about 
about what's happening in communist countries, communist tyrants? What about, what about Hitler and the Nazis and the Holocaust? I mean, do they ha was that okay with God? No, that wasn't okay with God. That's not what God established authority to be. So those in authority are to, are to, we ought to fear those in authority because we respect them and we don't, we don't want to be uh, judged for doing wrong. And so we respect them. That's, and that's not the only place this is found. It's found in First Peter. Peter gives us a couple of clear, let's, let's just turn to that real quickly. To first go to, we'll come right back to Romans 13, but go to First Peter chapter 2. And this is a verse that I want to refer to a little later maybe. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Now he's been talking in verses 12 about living a wholesome life, a good life, good works, those kind of things. But look in verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, for what purpose? Here's the, here's the same thing we see in Romans 13. For the punishment, this is, why, this is why we have authority. For the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Similar language. And so Romans, let's go back to Romans chapter 13 and verse 4. Talking about the people now that are in positions of authority. For he, talking about the ruler, is the minister of God to thee for good. That's a great word, minister. means a, It's the same word that's translated as a servant, like a table waiter, a diakonos, a deacon. It's the same word. The person who's in a position of authority is like a servant. For the minister of God to thee, he's the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, if you go against the rules, be afraid. For he that beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister, second time that word is used in that verse. He is the servant of God. By the way, you know, I may say, say it now. I might have thought of it later, but. That's why I think we ought to appreciate our law enforcement. We ought to appreciate these people. I tell them often when I see them, when they pull my wife over for speeding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I tell them how much I appreciate them. I appreciate people that are in that, they're, they're, in, a, they're, in, a, they're in a God-ordained place of authority. And so we ought to respect them. And for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. You know, this last killing is, that just happened in Wisconsin, and I didn't plan on saying this, but it kind of applies to this. I don't know what happened. I don't think anybody knows. People may know, but we don't know. We don't know what led up to that shooting. We don't know what he was getting out of that car. We don't know any of that stuff. But this is how, what you see in the media. That, or this is what you don't see. Let me just say it this way. You don't see anybody questioning, what about resisting arrest? 
Nobody seems to care about resisting arrest or fighting against law enforcement. The only thing they want to talk about is how a man got shot. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying it was justified. I'm not saying that. Don't say that I said that because I didn't. I'm just saying in all of these things, you don't see anybody saying if you just quit breaking the law and resisting arrest, we could solve some of this problem. But we don't look at it that way. And that's what they're there for. They're there, according to this verse, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Verse 5, wherefore you must needs be subject. So you need to be subject. You know why, why? Why are we subject to these people in authority? Don't. Why do we be subject? Not just because they have a badge and they have unquestioned authority. We should be subject to them because they're looking out for our good. And they're judging things that are wrong and protecting those that are right. That's why we should be subject to them. Not only, and he says not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. It's not just because, it's not just because if you get pulled over, you may get a ticket, but because of conscience sake. That means because something inside of you tells you. Like, for instance, the midwives, we could look at this, but we won't tonight probably. But the midwives in Exodus chapter 2 would not follow the Pharaoh's law that says every male child should be killed. The law says that. The government said that. The president said that. But there was a higher law in their heart. Their conscience says, I can't do this. It would be violate everything I believe about right and wrong for me to do that. So you don't just do it for, according to this verse here, you don't just do it for wrath's sake, but you do it for conscience sake. In verse 5. You know, I was, I was taught on this subject several times back when we were doing the tea party thing in, in different churches and different places. But in my study, I, I ran across something that I was reminded of today. You know, the Nazi soldiers um, who were tried for war crimes uh, during Hitler's reign, they, this is what some of them claimed as their defense. Now, they're guilty of these killing innocent people. But this was what they claimed as a part of their defense. We were just obeying the rules. We had to obey the rules because that, that's the right thing to do. And so, therefore, we're not guilty. We were just obeying the rules. But you know what? That defense did not stand up in these war crime cases. You know why they said? Because man has a higher moral authority even than his human superiors. That's his conscience. Now, the more a person has the defiled conscience, a seared conscience, the less that may play into it. Then we have verse 6 and 7, and we'll wrap up this passage. For this cause, because these leaders are God's servants, because they're there to judge evil and reward good, for this cause, pay ye tribute also. And tribute usually has to do with taxes or things of that nature. For they are God's ministers, God's servants, attending continually upon this very thing. So verse 7 continues that. 
Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute, to whom tribute is due. Custom, to whom custom. Fear, to whom fear. Honor, to whom honor. We pay taxes. Why do we pay taxes? I'm not saying we should pay as high taxes as we do, but that's part of supporting law enforcement, and the purpose of law enforcement is to protect us. We live in a messed up society, don't we? We should also show them honor. Young person, there's your good verse. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know that I should show honor to someone who's in law. Right there it says honor to whom honor is due. You know, I was reminded today as I was going through this about uh, when Paul, at the beginning of these different trials he went through, he went before the Sanhedrin, before the core of the day, the religious court, and um, he said something about the high priest. He didn't know it was the high priest, but he said something about the high priest, and um, matter of fact, he smote him, and he said he called him a sepulcher. Why did sepulcher? Something like that. I forget. But, you, but, they, but then they said, don't you know that this is the high priest? Don't you know this man's a position of authority? And Paul didn't say he deserved it or whatever. You know what Paul did? Paul made it right. He honored him. But he honored him and respected him, not because he was a good person, but because he was in a position of authority. You know, I didn't always agree on everything our former president did. Matter of fact... I agreed with few things he did. But I respected the office that he was in, the position he was in. So, with that as a, is that just laying that out, what about civil disagreement? Or what about civil disobedience? Because I'm firmly convinced that people who say that we owe unquestioned obedience to everyone in authority at all times. I just don't think this verse teaches that. I think when you go through it word for word, verse for verse, look at what God is saying, it doesn't teach that. And I think there are times when human authority should be questioned and even disobeyed. I mean, Elijah confronted King Ahab. King, he was the king Elijah was the preacher. The preacher confronted the king and said, what you're doing is wrong. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rebelled against the government. When the government said, you have to bow down, when you hear this, you have to bow down, they said, no, we're not going to. They didn't do that because they were just rebels. They did that because they had a higher law than what the government was saying. Right? They said, we're not going to do it. The same thing in the book of Acts. When the authorities told them, in no uncertain terms, you're not to preach or teach in this name anymore. You're not to do it. That's a person in authority saying you're not to do it. And that's where that verse, that very familiar, famous verse, where they said, we have to obey God rather than men. In other words, you're telling us not to do this, but God says we have to do this. Now, you're not, we're not just doing that out of 
being mavericks or being rebels. We're doing that because of what God says. Right? And we're going to talk a little bit in the next lesson more about civil law and the Constitution a little bit because I respect the Constitution. But what are we to do? What are we to do if human authorities are demanding that we do something uh, against God or against what God says? Well, I'm gonna, I want to say something to you. We, we have God's law, right? Now, now, I don't want to confuse you here, but we have God's law. But in this country, we also have a human law. And it's called the Constitution, for instance. That's just one, one basis. But let's just think about that for a moment. You say, well, God doesn't care about the Constitution. We just read a while ago where God says, obey every ordinance of man. The Constitution is a part of the ordinance of this land. And our elected officials swear, pledge themselves that they will uphold this Constitution, the Constitution of the United States, and defend the Constitution. And it's a great story, really, about not just the Constitution, but particularly the Bill of Rights, that first group of amendments to the Constitution. But this is the first one. This is the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Congress cannot control religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This, this is the law of the land. Con, con, the law of the land says that Congress establishes that no government can prohibit the free exercise of our faith. Now that does not mean that if if they say we've got a serious medical emergency, then, you know, for instance, what, what, if, what if along the coastline tonight, it's Wednesday night, what if local authorities said, for your own safety, you can't have church tonight? I mean, they're saying that by midnight there are going to be perhaps 20-foot swells of water coming on, on shore. And a person could say, a person could say, well, bless God, God told us to assemble in church and, and say the government doesn't have the authority. That's not, that's not the government trying to overrule a church's authority. That's looking out for the safety of people. Can you see the difference? There is a difference in that. But they cannot prohibit the free exercise of our faith and it goes on, the First Amendment talks about the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the right of people to peaceably assemble. That's what's happening in the streets of Wisconsin. Peaceful protesting, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek. And we have the right to petition the government for redress of our grievances. And again, a person can say, yeah, but those are man's laws. But God said, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. There's no re those are not bad laws. Those are good laws. Laws designed, by the way, this is something, again, that's just interesting if you ever want to look into it. 
But the two greatest influences on James Madison when these Bill of Rights were established were Baptist preachers who were looking out. You know why? Because this is, this is history. Because they came to this country meaning looking for religious freedom. And they wanted our Constitution to say our government cannot tell us how to worship. And those Baptist preachers stayed with it until they got it in the Bill of Rights. I think it's an important fact of history. So how, so, so, and if so, if we have these laws that we're to obey, I mean, if I'm sitting here listening to all this and I'm thinking, okay, God established authority so that we would, so that they would protect us and they would, and that the authority would uh, judge evil, reward those that are good, those that are doing right, um, and, we're to fo- and we have good laws to follow, then if everything just goes good in this great experiment of America, then basically we have to do nothing but just obey the good laws of the land, right? But what are you supposed to do when the laws start changing? What are you going to do, you young people? What are you going to do when they start restricting what you can do and can't do. And one of the things I mentioned last time, and I'll just mention it briefly this time, and that is we ought to work hard to elect better leaders who respect life, for instance, the sacredness of human life. We ought to, we ought to work hard, not just say, man, it's, everything's going haywire, you know, Woe is us. No, we ought to get involved. We ought to get engaged. We ought to be active, trying to, trying to get good people elected. And, I, and I, think, I think the why a lot of times people are doing this, but a lot of times people aren't doing anything, and they're wondering, why are we losing all our rights? And really, the simple answer is just get engaged for positive governmental change within the system, and that can happen. And then this whole matter of the right to, the Second Amendment is the right to, Keep and bear arms. So um, there's a higher law than just the laws of the land. But we respect the laws of the land. And many of the laws, most of the laws are good laws. But sometimes there's a higher law. That's God's law or the law of moral conscience. I'll illustrate with this and I'll be done. Just imagine... This is easy to relate to. Imagine you're, you're walking through, you're over at a Union or Washington, you're going through the city park, and you hear a child crying out from the lake. You look out there and this child is drowning. So as you head toward the lake, you see a sign that says, no swimming allowed. That's the law. That's the city ordinance. No swimming allowed. So what do you do? Do you obey the civil law that says no swimming? Or do you obey the higher law of nature and the higher law of life and try to rescue that child? The, the point is, 
human laws are good. That's a good law. No, no swimming is a good law. Don't go near the lake. That's a good law. But there's a higher law than that that you may have to, you may have to obey if you're going to do something to save someone's life. So when, when we talk about, when, to me, when I hear people often talking about authority, they make it sound so easy. We have the right to disobey all authority. We have a right as Christians. We have the liberty, no matter what they say. And, I'm, and I think that person may feel that way in their mind, but they're not really looking at what the Bible says in a serious way. I also think when a person says, we don't have to even pray about it. If the law says do this, we have to follow the law. I don't think that person has really looked at it in a serious manner. When I look through these things, it's not always as cut and dried, as simple as people try to make it. And I'm not trying to make it complicated, but I'm just trying to say this. We want to be right, not based on what we think, but based on what God says. You know, many, many of the people, not all of them obviously, but many of the people who, who took up arms against the British government were Bible believers, preachers, godly people who had already worked out, not in a few minutes, but over the course of several years, through the teaching and the preaching, the preaching that was going on in this country, they had already worked out what they believed would be their proper response. Now, we're not there, but I think it would be wise for us every once in a while to think through these things. What should I do according to the teachings of the Bible? Amen? We'll have another lesson on this after our meeting next week. But let's bow our heads at this time. While our heads are bowed, and I, um, I just would like to encourage us all to want to have a biblical response to authority to respect authority, to honor, give honor to whom honor is due, to, to ask for discernment. I begin this by saying I think we need wisdom and discernment, to have wisdom and discernment about what our response should be. If we're ever in a position where we have to decide, am I going to obey what human authority is saying or, or do I have to disobey what God is saying in order to obey what human authority is saying and I'm, I'm fairly certain tonight there's probably people here who've thought through a lot of these things but I'm also fairly certain there are people here tonight who's never really thought much about it at all so let's ask God to give us wisdom Father we pray that tonight you'd help us as Bible believers, as committed followers of Christ, help us to not just follow the drumbeat of others, what they're saying, but, Lord, to exercise wisdom and discernment 
about our decisions. And Father, I, I don't want to be an alarmist. I'm not an alarmist. But our culture is not standing still. It's not holding its own. As far as our understanding of morality and virtue, godliness, we're losing ground in our country. So help us to do our part as your people.